The Mission Valley got its dream They got a big league baseball team When Gomez led them in 69 Colbert and Jones did well But the Padres couldn't gel Till Williams took the reins And got the team in line I'm talking baseball. Welcome everybody to an emergency edition Of the Gwintelligence Podcast I am David Marver of Change the Padres Joined by Padres Jagoff Yes, I'm here and I'm I'm excited that we're uh... Who thought we who who really thought we'd be this excited about rebuilding in three years of terrible teams? We've kind of rebuilt in like two weeks. I mean, I mean they were you know wink wink rebuilding all along, uh, especially once they traded Kimbrel. But with the moves that have gone down since our last podcast, literally the day after our podcast, the Potters made a trade, then the international signings, and then today trading Drew Pomerantz for one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. They've pretty much done like a rebuild or at least a retooling in like two weeks' time. It's been pretty remarkable. Well, they're retooling. Uh, I mean, let's not let's not go jacking each other off quite yet about the rebuilding. Uh, the upper minors are, are pretty destitute. But for sure, the, the low A, uh, high A levels, and obviously like the Dominican... Dominican facility, Arizona Rookie League, those are a lot better stocked right now. And... Whenever those you know mature and hit the big leagues, I think we're we're looking at something to be hopeful about. Yeah, so let's just uh, recap quickly what really happened today, and then we can jump into you know criticizing everything or critiquing it or praising it or whatever. Padres traded Drew Pomeranz, their all-star starting pitcher. Now, say all-star with a grain of salt here because he kind of replaced another arm, and he's only really had one good half season in his career, at least as a starter. And they traded him for Anderson Espinoza. He's an 18-year-old uh, pitcher in the Red Sox system. He's already in uh, low A ball. He has some pretty, pretty decent numbers there, especially for an 18-year-old. In Baseball America's recent Top 50 update, he was ranked 15th in all of baseball for prospects. And that's with the caveat that he also is a very high upside prospect. So it's not even, you know, sometimes you see those guys in the Top 15. And we kind of had this argument about... Um, you know, earlier this year and, and in years past about Yonder Alonso's original ranking on the uh, prospect, uh, prospect list, his prospect ranking was based on upside. And so the Padres got a guy that they see as potentially a number one down the road. I know that he's been described as a potential top-of-the-rotation starter. That excites me a lot. That is the type of player you and I have been uh, clamoring for for a long time. Um, and just recently on, on Twitter, I just saw that Dave Dombrowski, the general manager for the um, Austin Red Sox had a quote saying that uh, he was trying to trade three lesser prospects to Preller, but Preller was adamant that he wanted the, the number one guy. So uh, that's really uh, – what was your initial take on the trade? So, I, I mean, I totally missed it. I saw it about an hour after it happened, but I was I was thrilled. I was a little surprised it happened so quickly. But um, – I had thought it was a foregone conclusion that Pomeranz was going to get traded. Um, I tweeted out, I think yesterday, that I saw trading Pomeranz as the as the the barometer of whether management and Preller were serious about really competing for 2019 and beyond. Um, we can get into the the 2019 target date of of Peter Seidler later, but um, I thought that. Uh, understanding that his contract is up in 2018, that there was really no value beyond a very small amount of public relations value to keep him. Um, he's pitched better than he's ever has in his career. Obviously, he had a 
top prospect pedigree, which we've talked about before, but um, this was by far the best he's ever performed and in all likelihood is probably the peak of what you could expect from a Drew Pomeranz. So you either trade him now when he's performing or you wait and risk an arm injury. Uh, he's pitching well beyond his highest innings limit, highest innings pitched in his career, uh, or he's on pace to. And, you know, just performance risk. It's It wasn't a slam dunk that he would continue performing like this the rest of the year or next year. So I think... You know, they had to they had to get what they could get for him. And kudos to Preller for getting, you know, a top 20 prospect, because right now the Padres are sitting on two of the top 20 in in, I guess, I think it was the Keith Law, Keith Law rankings. Margot is for sure in the top 20 for two of two of the rankings that I've seen so far for midseason updates. So that's that's incredible for the system. No, it's great. And just to give a little bit of a background on Espinoza, um, according to Fangraph Scouting, he has a future 80 fastball, and that is the highest. That's on a scale of, of 80, where that 80 is the maximum. So they really got um, a high upside arm. And for like you said, they they, sell, they sold high on Drew Pomeranz. Um, it's something that you and I have talked about all the time. It's something they didn't do with Tyson Ross. They didn't trade Tyson Ross when his stock was at its highest which was pretty much exactly where Pomeranz is now. He has three years left of, of cheap um, team control. Uh, he is left-handed, which I think helps his stock a little bit. I did read a Fangraphs article, I think it was two days ago, where they showed that he's introduced a cutter this year and that, that it's been a very good outpitch for him. Um, and, you know, there's been anecdotal evidence that he's started pitching inside against right-handed hitters. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I actually think Drew Pomeranz is for real. I don't think this is just uh, a lucky 110 innings or whatever. Um, but at the same time, like you said, his stock will never be higher because every time he pitches for the Padres, there's A, injury risk. Uh, B, he's getting closer to not being cheap. Uh, and all along, the Padres aren't competing. So there's really no reason for them to have him, at least in 2016 and 2017. I think 2018 is pushing it, and I think you agree with me there. 2019 might even be pushing it pushing it for him um and so you know to get someone back who's honestly one of the best i, I think i saw him described as the fourth best pitching prospect in baseball but perhaps the highest upside of everyone i'm thrilled um you know we can nitpick all we want about the fact that he's only 18 that he's only in low a his you know i saw someone throw out his win-loss stat in single a as if that means something but he his his walk ratio isn't fantastic at that level you know, 3.2 is somewhat, you know, you could want a little bit more there. But he's only allowed two home runs in 76 innings. And as I've said many times, that's the most predictive thing uh, for for young A pitchers. So, you know, there, there well, are he's, obviously... He's only, eight, he's only 18 also. I know. there's like, like I'm saying, there are things you can nitpick. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, what more could you have asked for, really? The market's always imperfect. You're never going to be able to pick and choose oh, if we're going to trade him for a top prospect, I want it to be a third baseman with power. Like, you never you never get to exactly choose the guy you want. You kind of have to take the maximum offer if you think it's worth more than the three years Pomerantz has left. And I think they got that here. I'm, um, so I'm pleased. Well, I, I think what we've talked about before, and it came up with Ross and with Kashner, is, you know, we're saying on this, right, I think we've, we, we've both just said that his value will never be higher. There's certainly... The possibility his value could have been higher. 
you know, if he'd continued performing, a, you know, throwing up a two ERA the rest of the year with, with his K per nine, um, you know, sustaining, his value might have been a little bit higher in the offseason. But the thing that we've talked about is in the past, Preller has had the failure of accounting for like a risk premium uh, for either performance or for, for injury and instead has pursued, you know, the absolute maximal value, which isn't. You know, sometimes it works out. With Kimbrel, it seemed to have worked out, but it can fail just as much. And I think that this is a nice, happy medium for for claiming value. You know, maybe not 100% of the maximum value, but sometimes it's okay to take 90% of maximum value. And he's certainly done that with Espinoza. And I'm not sure that his value would be higher in the offseason. I, I get what you're saying, and I think I agree with the, the, the end line of what you just, you know, arrived at. But if you're... The Red Sox are probably going to compete for the playoffs the next few years. And so they get someone that helps them in three playoff runs, even if he has a certainty of another 100 innings uh, innings under his belt. He ends the year as a four or five win above replacement pitcher. He's proven that he can throw 200 innings. It's still one less playoff run that the Red Sox get out of him. Um, So, and, you know, plus this year he makes basically nothing, so they don't have to expand their budget. Not that that's a huge concern for the Red Sox, but but it's still something. so for them, you know, I'm not sure for some of these teams that are planning on competing over the next three years that his value isn't as high as it could possibly be, uh, let alone with, yeah, like you said, obviously injury risk, uh, regression risk, you know, just he's a pitcher. There's just a ton of risk in pitchers. Um, so I don't think there's anything to truly complain about. One thing I've seen a lot, and I kind of want to get your opinion on this, I've seen pretty much every Padres fan talk about this so far is either they're disgusted with the way that some Padres fans are complaining about the trade, or they are a part of the crowd complaining about the trade. Um, obviously, I have complained about Padres trades in the past many, many times, not just in terms of what they've gotten back, but the fact that it's gone against the words the team has said. I don't think this is one of those trades. I, I don't think it can be com- compared to, certainly not to Adrian, because the Padres were coming off a 91 year, and he had... Uh, you know, he was from San Diego. I, th- I just think everything that went into Adrian was was much different than this. And then even Jake Peavy, you know, the Padres still had a decent core then. They had just given him an extension. The new owner had said he was going to stay. You know, there's just a lot. Optically, that trade was way worse than this one. The Padres have never come out and said they want to keep Pomeranz. Even the guys close to the Padres, like Bill Bill Center and uh, whatnot, have pretty much said all along they thought he was going to get traded or that at least he was a trade chip. Um, so I, I don't have any problem with it because the Padres haven't lied to us about it. I think that's the, that's the, the biggest thing here, let alone the fact that the Padres weren't going to compete while Pomeranz was cheap and controllable. So what's the point of even having him? You might as well maximize his value while you can. So I, there's going to be no sympathy from the people upset about trading him because you weren't going to watch good baseball anyways. So you might as well get something that will help you or could help you when you're going to be good again. Um, so well, here's what I've learned with Padres Twitter is that there are a lot of really intelligent, really smart, really engaged fans. And there are also a lot of real dummy fans that don't understand the anything beyond uh, just surface level baseball. And I think those are the guys that are complaining. They're probably also the guys that are uh, thrilled that Matt Kemp is on the team because he's a name. Um, and he's the... the it's that that level of fan that in the past I think I've argued that Mike D and Wayne Partello have been targeting as as 
as fans that they want to come out to the ballpark and who they've been structuring the team around. Um, I, I do think you could argue that by having management uh, at the beginning of the season talk about competing, talking about playoff scenarios of how they could make the playoffs, that raising those expectations – and I've long said that expectation management has been a poor uh, – something something the team has been very poor at. Um, and it's really only been since the Fire Mike D movement that we've heard – what we've heard now, which is Peter Seidler coming out and saying, you know, it's going to be two and a half, three, three, three. Well, he's saying three years. Some of us would argue three plus years um, before the team's going to be competitive again. And that is so refreshing, if, by the way. I, I very wanted, refreshing. I want to just yeah. point that out before we maybe get off on a different subject. He had an, uh, a line last week um, where he said, you know, you look Padres fans in the eyes and you tell them, you know, 2019 is the earliest this could work. Um, that's just really refreshing to hear from the Potters ownership. It's very much not what you hear from the other part of the ownership. They're on Fowler, you know, part of the ownership group. Uh, but to hear it from at least one of them, uh, very nice, very refreshing. Uh, but continue. Right. And, and Seidler has his flaws, I think. Um, but, you know, yes, it's, it's incredibly refreshing. Let's pat ourselves on the back for, the, for, for, for Fire Mike D for, uh, for spurring that. Uh, but, the fans that are upset about it, I, I don't know if it's really relevant. It's it's not really relevant because the team is going to be bad next year, and they'd be they'd be complaining about that just as much. Um, in the end, you know, as we've long said, the goal is a world championship, um, and this is what's needed to achieve that. You know, Drew Pomeranz wasn't going to achieve that at the point that he's not contributing to that goal. Then then you ship him out and you. Fi- and you trade him for assets that will be part of that goal. You know what's so great about this, too, is the fact that the Padres were very resolute all along in choosing Drew Pomeranz. He had a really awful spring training. And if you go back to our podcast when they got uh, – we talked about how they got um, Dan Straley, and then they tr- uh, just basically got rid of him almost immediately. Um, and I think I had a one-liner on there where I said, well, I'm glad that they're not just going off spring training stats. It means that they actually think he's a better player – than Straley because Pomerantz had about as bad of a spring as you could possibly have. And as a result of them going off of that and not going off some, you know, stupid, it's something that Bud Black, I feel like, would have done. Like, oh, he pitched great this spring. He's a fifth starter. Uh, they went with the guy that I guess they thought had the best raw stuff or the, just the best stuff in general. And they're being rewarded for it. And that's uh, that's really refreshing. It really is. It wasn't some stupid, um, really short-term thing that they did they actually went with the player they thought was the best despite some short-term shortcomings in the uh in spring training i thought that part of right. it was nice too i mean not to say that dan straley wouldn't be looking pretty nice especially given the situation now of the rotation but well we want them uh, to lose now i mean now they've given up on the year so i don't even want straley i want them to call up some some shithead from triple a and, and just lose some more games yeah or start eric johnson some more yeah let, let bethencourt you know let him pitch a little bit yeah. Uh, the the number of people that were anti this trade, like I, I really didn't think, uh, you know, even in the All Star coverage, Pom- even local coverage, Pomeranz got barely any any coverage. I mean, it was all about Will Myers, and um, I don't know if that was by design, knowing that he was going to get shipped out, um, but. Uh, 
I was shocked at how much Pomeranz endeared himself because I mean I, I recognize he he pitched great here, but he, he's not really the personality or, or name that I thought fans had really embraced. Like I don't think Drew Pomeranz was selling tickets. I don't either. You know, for his for his starts. No. So, um, but you know, sometimes it's no, just complaining, it's, complaining to complain. But the thing is, I don't want to make a straw man out of those fans. I actually have seen some some people that I follow, and I follow most. I would say most Padres fans, if they ever add anything in one out of 50 tweets, I, I follow them back. Um, there are some whose opinions I have agreed with or respected a lot who are actually against this trade, um, which I thought was a little surprising. So I don't want to put a straw man on it that there are these smart people that get it and then there are people that, that aren't smart that don't get it. Um, I just want to talk some sense into it because how could the Padres possibly be good next year? Let's just pretend Will Myers keeps this up. He is a six-win-above-replacement player. I don't think he's probably this good. I think he's probably like a four-plus war player every year, which is still great, and he's still very young, and that's awesome to have. Um, where are they going to get the pitching? I mean, they don't. none of their guys, and we'll talk about how many great young pitchers they have, none of them are going to be ready next year, let alone, or none of them are going to be ready in 2018, let alone 2017. So to think that, Padres could possibly compete next year. You know, you, they'd have to add a bunch of players from outside the organization. And you look at the free agent pitching market. We've talked about it a bunch. There are no good free agent pitchers, so they can't do it that way. So they'd have to trade away everything that they've worked so hard to assemble just to get a capable rotation next year to maybe push 84, 85 wins. It just wasn't possible. So I hope the people out there, and I'm not sure how many of them that tweeted that they hated the trade are going to listen to this podcast, but I hope they can at least you know, sit there for five minutes and give it a good hard think. Like, how could they possibly be good next year? It would take literally everything going right, which was the same thing we were saying at the beginning of this year, which was one reason we thought this year they should try to not win or at least get rid of the present value for future value, which they've done to their credit. So, um, you know. And even, honestly, even the everything going right argument still comes up short. It really does. Like, you know, you could you could have made the fantasy that it could have worked this year. But given what's going to happen or what's happened already, like it's, it's almost impossible to to look at it that way. Unless you're just completely in the realm of fantasy where you're like, Oh, I think Eric Johnson could put up five war next year, you know, like totally unrealistic scenarios. Yeah. I think the odds of Johnson doing that next year are like, Johnson's the worst. Let's not he's, let's he's, not let's, kid ourselves. Let's just never talk about him on the podcast ever. Again. But at the same time, maybe we should start preparing ourselves for Eric Johnson to be in the rotation next year because there's really not much else. You know, it's him. Maybe Edwin Jackson. You know, yeah. Like th- these are the types of players that pop up in seasons like that. Well, let's actually talk about this. Um, I got I I sent out a tweet asking for questions, and I'm actually not going to read any of them out directly because most of them were centered around the right theme or the same theme, which is when can the Padres be good again? And you hinted at this at the beginning of the podcast. Peter Seidler has said 2019. Last time, though, he did say that the earliest you could see it working is 2019, I think leaving the door open for, you know, 2020 or whatever. Um, what do you think? When is the next – when can this stockpile of pitchers – and actually, let me um, back up a second because the international signing period just happened. The Padres signed a ton of top young talent, including uh, one of the – premier pitchers in the international free agent signing uh, period market, which was uh, Morajon out of Cuba. Um, they also just traded Fernando Rodney for Chris Paddock, a single-A pitcher who's 
probably has the best looking stat line of any minor league pitcher this year, who I think will crack top 100 lists. You stack that up with Logan Allen. You have Jacob Nix down there in single A. You have Eniel De Los Santos. Uh, you have Lamette now in double A. You have a lot of low-level pitchers. But when can we realistically expect the Padres to compete again? Well, and we touched on this a little bit with John Conniff uh, from Mad Friars last episode. But um, we talked about how Peter Seidler has said that he believes that minor league players advance one level per year. So in his head, players that are in single A will be in double A next year. They will be in triple A the year after, and they'll be in the major leagues the year after that, which would bring us to 2019. And in reality, it's it's somewhat rare when especially um, like high school players or certainly international players would advance that quickly. Um, and it's also rare for an entire rotation to advance that quickly. You may have the outliers where, where people, a few of them have an exceptional performance where they move that quickly, but um, it's not, it's not super common. Um, and then you look at some players that we've drafted, uh, you know, Cal Quantrill was a college pitcher, but he is barely pitched in the last couple of years. He's certainly going to be on an innings limit when he does start pitching. And, and that's not the typical profile that moves through the system that, you know, super quickly. So you look at our stockpile of pitchers at low, primarily at low A, Fort Wayne. Um, Lamett's obviously been promoted to double A. Um, Paddock is at Elsinore right now. But uh, those low A players, you know, they're not going to jump straight to double A. They're going to go to Elsinore, assuming they perform there, then they're going to go to double A. And, you know, the assumption that they're going to be ready for the majors in 2019, I think, is a little silly. So to me, I think 2020 is the realistic target for when that bounty of minor league talent, you know, appears. Now there's always a chance that they could trade Ross for, you know, high level, maybe one high level, triple a, double a, you know, top prospect. But, um, to fill a rotation, you need a lot more than, than that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I'm on the same page. I, I think some of these arms could, make the major leagues by 2019 or maybe even the end of 2018, to be honest, uh, if some of them keep progressing the way they've been playing. But when you will actually like have a Padres rotation that is featuring multiple of these pitchers, because you have to remember some of these guys are going to, you know, fizzle out for sure. Um, but you know, when might the Padres have Espinosa, Morahone, Paddock, Logan Allen, Jacob Nix, you know, any of these other guys that are currently performing well in the minors, when would they start to make, an actual impact at the major league level. I think 2019 is a fair statement. Now, as to when they'll have enough of them that they. But I, I don't. I don't think you open the season with them in 20. I mean, if they make an appearance in 2019, it's not. It's not like they're breaking camp out of spring training. In all likelihood, I mean, that that kind of pitcher may pop up in the second half sometime. But you're talking about them advancing through through double A AA and triple A and high A in in two years, and that's. That's not common. It's not. And, and not that's saying, also not. I, I'm not that's saying not it's common. That's not necessarily good development either. I mean, that's rushing them through the system for the benefit of the major league team, which is which is not what we want. No, I don't disagree that that's not what we want. But what, what I'm saying is that, you know, pitchers do that somewhat frequently, though. Like, pit, I, pitching more than hitting. Like, it's very rare to see a hitter breeze through the minor leagues. But pitchers often do make that jump. Um, I wouldn't actually be surprised to see Paddock debut next year. I mean... The way his numbers are prof prophetic right now, they they really absolutely are. 
Um, and you look across the major leagues, there are guys that make that sort of jump every year. Um, this year, it would be uh, Urias for the Dodgers has come up, and you know he breezed through the minors, and he was a top prospect too. Um, you know, I, I said on the podcast before, Cole Hamels or Jose Fernandez. You know, these are the type of names that when you're pitch, I mean, just look at what Paddock's done since he came over, and his numbers were absurd beforehand: nine innings pitched, 15 strikeouts, one walk. Uh, no home runs. He allowed two hits the other day, but one of them was a drop pop-up. The other one was a little uh, blooper. So these are the type of guys that, yeah, they might start in high A or double A, but if they're continuing to blow away competition, they will promote those players. So I, I think it's not unreasonable to expect one of them to debut at the end of, uh, certainly in 2018, but as to as I said, when they're actually making an impact, when they're actually throwing more than 150 innings at the major league level, uh, and doing so with you know good ratios and and actually contributing to winning, I was saying that 2019 is pretty fair as to when they're actually going to have enough of them up there and have a you know rotation that's featuring multiple of those players and they're all you know mature enough that they're contributing towards a winning Padres product. I think 2019 is far more reasonable. Um, so and especially because you know some of these guys are raw. I, I can't imagine Mora Holmes going to help the Padres until 2020 at the earliest. The guy they got from the Red Sox today, who's 18, um, you know, even if he's a prodigy, I don't think you want him debuting before he's 20, which it would be the end of 2018. So, I, you know, I just don't see. I yeah, just don't I mean, see when you're talking 2019 is the year that they're going to compete, that's another like, uh, well, if everything goes right, nobody gets injured and no one regresses, then we can have, you know, a good rotation that year. It's just that rarely works out that way. If 2020 I mean, gives you a little cushion. If, um, I mean, 2019, it's not out of the question to me, though. I don't, I don't think it should be dismissed because, I mean, Hedges, and we can, we can talk about what Hedges is doing right now at AAA, maybe in another podcast, but if Hedges comes up and he's a three-win catcher, if Renfro comes up and, you know, in 2019, I imagine he'll be much more useful than he will be next year when I imagine he'll strike out 120 times. Uh, Margot will be hitting his prime. will be like about 24 then. Yeah, Myers will be in a, a contract year. Yeah, Myers. Well, yeah, we can talk about that later. Um, you know, it's going to require that they pull another Tyson Ross or Drew Pomeranz out of their ass. Like that, like that's something that's going to be required. I know they don't have any money con- uh, committed in 2019, so there's always a the hope that. They well, out. Kemp, Kemp. Is he committed in 2019? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Kemp is still here in 2019. Okay. Well, they don't have much money committed in 2019, so. I, I I think I can see a scenario in which it works, but you know more things have to fall in place correctly. Um, I just hope, and this is the biggest thing to me, that uh, ownership you know twenty nineteen rolls around and ownership looks at the team and they're impatient. I, I think that would be the worst thing possible because then they would be trying to open their window early by trading players uh, in order to meet some arbitrary deadline they set for themselves because they didn't want to frustrate fans who didn't necessarily understand everything correctly uh, three years prior. I think that would be the worst-case scenario. So I hope if 2019 rolls around and not enough of these guys are producing, I hope they don't make um, uh, a rush judgment to trade some of their minor league talent in order to get that. I think they need to stay committed to this plan, stay committed to any plan for the Padres would be great, but committed to this plan of creating 
waves of talent coming through the minor leagues and just let it advance naturally. Um, like you said, not forcing a player to advance every year. If they need two years in Lake Elsinore, then they get two years in Lake Elsinore. But if they're ready to advance and, you know, the Padres see themselves potentially having enough players ready to advance and by 2019, then, you know, then they advance them. I just, it just has to be cognizant of the, like it has to all entirely always be centered about winning a world series eventually. So, um, well, and I, I should, I will say that, um, let, let's say you, you're targeting 2019 and, and that's what you think is realistic. When you trade Tyson Ross, maybe you don't, I mean, they talk waves of talent. There's, there's not actually any waves on the horizon right now. You know, it's pretty flat out there. Uh, you know, we're thinking maybe there's going to be a hurricane out in the South Pacific in a few weeks, um, being our, our single A talent, but double A, triple A, you know, there's nothing really close by right now. Pitching and, wise. I mean, triple A has, I would say triple A, triple A certainly has Renfro and, and hedges and, and Margot uh, Swahe. Yeah. Margot. Yeah. Position players were, were looking good at triple A, but, but yeah, double I mean, A's a wasteland. The there's pitching is dim, very <laughs> dim Nothing in double A, by the way. I don't know if you've looked at that roster recently. It's a very depressing Lam- yeah, it's lamin and nothing. Uh, they got another pitcher, but, Kelly, yeah, Kelly got sent down today to Double A. I think so. another guy though that I would say is on the periphery, uh, Kyle McGrath. I don't know if you can okay. his stat line this year, but he was a uh, what was he last year? He was a thirty uh, sixth. Sorry, he was a thirty sixth round pick in twenty fourteen. He's twenty three, but he has an awesome stat line. He started the year in uh, Elsinore, struck out twenty six guys and walked one, and so obviously they promoted him, and he's still striking out more than a batter in an inning. Very low walk ratio, not giving up home runs. So I think they might have, believe it or not, they might have spent a draft pick that they could have got a player of higher value when they spent on Johnny Manziel. They spent a draft pick in the 36th round, and they might actually have a player there. But that's pretty much all the talent in Double A. Oh, and by the way, he's left-handed. Um, but that's pretty much it in Double A. So yeah, like you're like you're saying, the true wave of talent is far away. Right, and, and understanding that, I think you. Um... Well, a I kind of understand pushing back the service clock on players like Renfro and and Hedges somewhat, but um, if you're going to trade Ross, I I think that maybe you try to target some of those lower level minor leaguers, try to get more more of a bunch of them. You know, the more of them you have, the more of them are gonna are gonna succeed. You know, a higher ratio, a higher percentage of them, uh, or a higher number of them, I guess, out of the out of the pool. So. Um, I, I'm hoping that when they dump the rest of our players that they're looking at that levels. The the, the level of player that's going to graduate in 2019-2020. So I, I don't even know if Tyson Ross is someone that can reasonably tr- be traded down. Like I, I think there's a pretty high probability of him requiring surgery and, and just like ending up being worth a comp pick. Like I think that's actually the most likely scenario for him now. But... Um, and this will shift. Well, and I think that's possible too. And, and the other thing to note with Ross is not—he's not—he's—he's he's a four-year arbitration player, so he's not—he's not cheap either. Um, in fact, his salary for next year, you know, given his injury, we have no idea how his performance would be. But it could be argued that his eventual fourth-year arbitration salary is higher than what he's worth. I'm not so sure about that because, as always, it always comes down to the alternatives. And so, yeah, it might be. He might end up getting like 18 or 16 million or whatever for that final year, which is less than he would get per season on the free agent market. Uh, but that, 
that's not the proper comparison because the proper comparison is other teams can get on the free agent market. And in order to get someone who will produce just as much for less in that first season, you have to promise them money on the back end and you don't have to do that with Ross. In fact, you get a comp pick. So I'm not entirely sure that's, uh, you know, that he won't have value, even if his salary is worth more, or even if he's end up ending up getting paid more than what he's worth in that one season, it's still valuable because you have to overpay everyone else so much more in future seasons. But uh, we sidetracked. I had another question sent to me at tw- on Twitter, um, and I think this is a more relevant trade target or trade piece for the Padres, and that is Melvin Upton. Uh, what can we reasonably expect from him now? Um, and are you looking for low minor pieces for him too? Well, I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm looking for low minor pieces, but uh, I, I think a lot of the talk, the national media still pushes the idea that Melvin Upton is grossly over not not even just national hacksaw said it yesterday or last night um, that Melvin Upton is way overpaid and given his performance this year he's you know he's probably actually underpaid for for what he's doing so there's certainly some surplus value but uh, it's hard I, I I think regardless of his actual performances here that the stigma about Melvin Upton is really bad nationally and and i don't know if it's that bad with with general managers but i imagine when they try to sell melvin upton to their fan bases that it's it's difficult when you have the the poor track record that he's had so here's my question about um, him though this is something no i don't think anyone's talked about um so next year he's going to get paid 16.4 million uh to date this year he's been worth 13.2 at least in terms of his wins above replacement versus how much you have to pay to get that on the free agent market. And obviously there's still a lot of time left this season for him to add to that. Is it possible that he's worth a comp pick at the end of 2017? Like, is he going to get a uh, qualifying offer if, you know, assuming no, that system still in place? Don't, no, really? I don't, don't think, think so. so. I think he, he might. How old will he be? He's only 31 right now. So at the end of next year, he'll be 32 going on 33. It'll be his last. I think that'll be like, I mean, that's really pushing it in terms of his last opportunity to, to get more than, you know, 14, 15 million on that one year deal. I think he might. I think at least I think at least if he produces this year, if he continues at the pace he's at, he's going to end the year as like a three win player. If he came back next year and, and replicated that, which there is a chance he does, I think then he's clearly worth giving a qualifying offer to. Um, yeah, I don't um, I don't share that, but. Um, I don't think it's a good sign if he's here still because that means that Margot is blocked again in the outfield. I'm so. not disagreeing with that, but if you trade him, the other team retains the rights to give him the qualifying offer. Then, so um, yeah, I don't think I just don't I don't see it. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not saying it's likely, but I I, I think, I think you're I think you're still underestimating like the 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 he's got a he's got an image problem, you know. Right, and I but don't know if, if it's going to be. Cor- I don't think it's going to be corrected. Like this is now his second year of well above average play, and and certainly like Fangraphs wrote something on how Melvin Upton's back, but it's not enough to overcome the stigma that he's created for himself. Is that even true? I mean, Drew Pomeran sucked ass his entire career since he was the fourth pick in the draft. Like he's just he didn't really suck. I mean, he was a productive he was a productive reliever in Oakland. Yeah, I mean, like marginally productive. It's not like it's not about sucking though. It's it's like this all encompassing stigma that Melvin Upton had though. 
Like it, it went way beyond just him sucking. I, I mean, he, he did really, right, really right, suck. But, but, but okay, if my entire premise is that he's a three-win player this year, and if he's a three-win player again next year or close to it, I don't think that stigma exists anymore. I mean, right now he's on pace to hit like twenty-eight home runs and steal thirty-five bases while putting up a three ten on base percentage and having, you know, league average defense. So, I, I mean. You do that, I don't know. You do that he, two seasons in a row, I, I don't think the stigma exists anymore. Um, at least, you know, maybe the Braves will have a stigma towards him, but I don't think – I think he will have created enough of a market for himself, especially the fact that he'll be 33 and will have never have another opportunity truly to get uh, a big free agent deal that I think he would decline a qualifying offer. And, again, this is all based – and this is still – I'm not saying it's likely this is going to happen, but I, I can actually see a scenario now in which this – happens before the year i did not see a scenario in which this could happen uh he's just played so well this season um that it's actually become you know you have to actually bake that into the price potentially or at least the odds of that into the price for him so i think um i think they actually might get something for him i don't necessarily subscribe yeah no i i agree that we should get something like that like i was i was reading about how how the padre should bundle pomerans with upton and take lesser prospects just to dump the Upton contract, and I think that's silly at this point. No, that would. There's no reason to dump. He's not even a long-term he's, contract at this point. He's only got one more year. It's not like he's a and he's, this endless burden like Matt Kemp. I know, and he's producing reasonably close to the contract value. So there's yeah. there's absolutely no reason to dump him, especially when, I mean, now they're almost capped in terms of what they can spend because uh, they can't overspend in the draft or else lose draft picks, and they've actually you know. They, they can't spend a ton of money in the international market going forward once that closes for them in next June. So the money they're going to spend on up to next year is almost irrelevant now. Yeah, Obviously. I mean, money in general should be irrelevant for them because, um, I mean, they're on their way to fielding, you know, well, actually it won't even be that low because Ross is going to get a lot of money, Kemp, Upton. So that that's about $50 million there, uh, you know. It's pretty, still pretty low. You know, they might be looking at sixty, sixty-five million dollar payroll. And also, I'd like to note, uh, we have one lost episode of Gwint- the Guintelligence podcast. It was the day of the Kimbrel trade, um, and we just couldn't get the recording working. But we were both incredibly bullish on Melvin Upton at the time that he could, you know, you know, a change of scenery could lead to better performance from him. So. Hey, uh, we should probably all pat ourselves on the back here. Yeah, we should actually uh, maybe take that to some forensic scientists who can enhance the uh, Google. Because what what happened on that lost episode, and this is some great uh, intelligence archives trivia, you know, um, for the 30, 30 for 30 they'll do on us in, you know, in 10 years. Um, we used to use Google Hangouts for these podcasts. And if you do a podcast on Google Hangouts, you get like, Every podcast you get a second or two that cuts out, um, and I don't think it's actually related to the internet speed or anything like that. I think it's just the way they did their connections, and it might have changed now. Um, and certainly, Skype isn't the greatest thing in the world. But um, basically, that podcast was just an hour of it skipping between me and him, and it, we lost. I mean, I swear, I lost twenty minutes of that podcast just from um, the sound skipping in and out. So. Rather than make you listen to that, we just never released that podcast. 
Um, but I might have to dig up that Melvin Upton stuff because I do recall that. I definitely remember saying, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that becomes he becomes because at the time he was what was he twenty nine at the time yeah he had plenty of so, time and and potential to to perform he's also another like ta- one talent that, talent doesn't just disappear like athletic talent doesn't i mean it, it does but it doesn't usually disappear that suddenly no especially not when they still and, look and I think and we, we had talked them. about how yeah and we talked about how maybe you know when you have that drastic of a drop off that you know it could be said it's a mental thing or or a psychological thing and I I don't know. It kind of seems like that might have been the case with with Melvin. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, it's very late here on the East Coast. I'm glad we got in this emergency podcast. Um, I think we'll have another one here coming up soon, hopefully, with a uh, potential guest lined up here. Um, But uh, before we leave, I had one last question from Twitter. Let me pull it up. This is a very quick one. Um, Blah, blah, blah. Oh man, I I think I lost it. Uh, this is great radio. This Barbara. is great. I know. This person, I think the person deleted it. Oh god damn it! I don't know where it went. Uh, All right. Well, this was another that's, great that's moments it. in intelligence podcast. We'll have to edit this part out. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well. Uh, speaking of lost episodes, we now have a lost question um, to go along with it. But uh, hopefully, after listening to this podcast, if you weren't on board with the Padres trade of Drew Pomeranz, you can get on board with it, or at least accept the fact that other Padres fans who want a World Series title just as much as you um, are happy about the trade. So um, until next time, uh, go Padres. Go Padres. I'm gonna jack it where the sun always shines. He's gonna jack it. Been spreading the word and now I need to ease my mind. Jacking it home. Been planting them apple seeds and while the apples grow, I'm gonna go out jacking it in San Diego. Jacking it, jacking it, jacking it, jack. Spanking it, jacking it, spanking it, smack. I don't need no shirt, no, gonna take them pants right off. He's about to jacket. On such a Friday, who needs underwear or socks? Jacket, jacket, ho. Been around God's country, and there's one thing I know. There's no better place for jacking it than San Diego. Jacket, jacket, jacket and jack. Spanking it, spanking it, spanking it, smack. Jacket it, jacket it, jacket it, jack. Jacket it, spanking it, spanking it, smack. Come to San Diego, there's so much to see. From the sparkling waters of Mission Bay to the warm tortillas of Old Town. And after a day of sightseeing, why not try spanking it in one of our charming city streets? San Diego, come, take a load off. Jacking it, jacking it, jacking it, jack. Spanking it, spanking it, smackity smack. A whackin' it, whackin' it, whackity whack. Spanking it, jerkin' it, smackity smack. The cars are passing me by, they honk and say hello. Hey, that guy's jacking From his window, there's a guy shooting video. Video of him jacking. And if the good Lord Jesus comes knocking on my door, just tell him that I'm jacking it in San Diego. Jacking it, jacking it, jacking it, jack. Spanking it, spanking it, spanking it, spanking it, He's about to jack it. Jacking, jack, jack, jacking it, jacking it. Wagging, wagging, spank, wagging, spanking it, wagging. Spanking, wagging, jacking, 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 wagging, 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 spanking, spanking, wagging, wagging, spanking it. He's about to jack it. Jack, jack, wagging, 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 wagging,